Hello and welcome to the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield University in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast shares these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy today's episode. Schmidt. We're here with Jess Spera. It's June 8th, 2023. We're at Shehalem Vineyards in Newburgh. Jess, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Uh, first question to get started is why wine? Um, so I originally was in the brewing industry and um, yeah, it's a, it's a very long story, but um, ultimately I thought the wine industry was a similar industry to go into. I had a lot of lab experience in the brewing industry. Um, and it was just more aligned with who I am as a person. Um, I had a lot of interest in wine um, coming from also a bartending and serving. I worked at a lot of fine dining restaurants, so I had a lot of knowledge um, about wine before I started even in the brewing industry. Mm -hmm. Um, Actually, the first wine that I ever served from Oregon was Shehalem. I think it was a Three Valleys, or Three Vineyards, Chardonnay, I think that was the skew. But, um, so there was more, there's more like upward more mobility mm-hmm. in the wine industry as well. Uh, a little bit more lucrative than the brewing industry. More women. So yeah, it was, uh, it was an easy and also natural transition. I had some connections as well to a winery in California that um, so I did my first harvest in California. Let's talk about life before wine a little bit. Tell us where you were born and raised and yeah. kind of life before wine. So I was born and raised in Boston, Massachusetts. I lived in a town about 30 minutes um, outside of downtown Boston. Uh, so grew up in New England and decided to go to college in Colorado and have a double degree in history and anthropology. Um, instead of Moving from Colorado after college, I was supposed to be working at a museum in New Hampshire, but I never got on the airplane and I stayed in Colorado and just started waiting tables instead. Uh, I didn't want to leave, um, so I ended up living there for 15 years. And in that time when I was serving and bartending, I started to go back to school and started taking chemistry, biology, um, So I have about 40 credits. I don't have a degree in either one of those, but the goal was to get uh, a degree in, a master's in nutrition, become a dietitian, um, which didn't happen. (laughs) Do you want to hear that story? Please do. (laughs) Okay. So um, I had taken all the chemistry, microbiology, organic chemistry, and I took physiology, and there were, we started to have labs where we were dissecting things. There was a very unfortunate lab that involved a rat, a live rat, and some epinephrine, and it was awful, and I hated it. Um, I had to take anatomy the next semester, and I was really dreading it. Um, because I knew what that meant, a lot of labs with body parts and things like that. Um, And uh, one night I got a call from a friend late at night who had gotten a really bad bike accident and he needed a ride to the hospital. So 
Um, I picked him up and I was in worse shape than him because I was so sick from all the blood and he had kind of mangled his face. And I took him to the hospital. The next day we were out having breakfast, like, you know, reliving the night. And uh, I was like, I don't think I can do this anymore. I can't do anatomy, like I can't do it. And he said that he had a friend that was hiring in a lab um, at Boulder Beer. So they had a pretty big microbiology lab and um, they ran enzymatic tests and things like that. So um, instead of going and taking anatomy and con continuing my education, I started working at the brewery. <laughs> and then the rest is what I told you before, but yeah. So let's talk about, before, before we pick that up, I'm curious about, you mentioned kind of fine dining and, and that area. So tell mm -hmm. me about starting to learn about wine as well as beer and spirits. Like, what, were you interested in them? Was it something that was, was, a, was a passion of yours at that point, or was it just sort of a, a means to get by? Yeah, no, so I, I had worked at a brewery right out of college, waiting tables. It was not fine dining. It was very casual. They had a brewery in the back of the restaurant, and um, while I was working there, I always showed an interest in learning about the beer, and I became friends with the brewers, and they would let me, I would never get paid for it, but jump in back there and help them out um, for a few days. So I did always have this like interest in manufacturing beverages, and um, I really liked the science aspect to it, as well as you know all the different choices you can make to affect the flavors and um, typicity of the beer. So uh, I hadn't done anything with that really and then kept moving up, fine, um, doing more fine dining and bartending um, and started learning more about wine. Mm -hmm. And it was a necessity for sure because that's how you get the tips is you have to sell the good wine. So. Um, a lot of wine education took a lot of classes, nothing formal, nothing like the W set or anything, but we would do um, you know, group learning sessions as a restaurant. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes restaurants would require you to write a paper or whatever. It was just like, yeah, so it was years of that, you know, mm -hmm. learning about wine. And mm -hmm. I would say that probably knew more then about wine outside the Willamette Valley than I do now because we're so focused on what we do here. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, it was a great, great gateway to what I do now. So let's talk about that. You, you, get, to, you get to Boulder Beer and now you're kind of, you got, you got, you're working in the lab for a, a large brewer. So tell us about mm -hmm. that experience and about being kind of back into that after being on the fine dining side. Yeah, so um, it was interesting. It was very casual work environment. Um, I was the only girl in the entire building. Um, I was very protected in my lab. I didn't often go out of the lab maybe to pull a sample or whatever, but um, it wasn't a very female-friendly work environment. I think it's changed a lot now. The brewing industry is more female more women working in um, brewing, but at the time, I think this was, I don't know, 13 years ago mm. or something like that. So 10 years ago, 10 years. But uh, yeah, so it could be better, but it was just like not a very hospitable place. Mm -hmm. But um, 
yeah, I was happy to be there every day just to learn. So tell us about making the decision then to, to do wine and to try a harvest. What, how did that kind of progress in your mind and how did you actually end up doing a harvest? Um, I don't really think about things, I just do them. So <laughs> when someone came to me, hey, my friend is a winemaker at this winery, you could do a harvest there, I was, it was an immediate yes. Mm -hmm. From there, actually, he was a great mentor, the winemaker there, and helped me uh, get really great jobs in um, New Zealand and Australia as well. And then that led to talking to Wynne Peterson Nedry. And I worked here in 2016 as an intern. So let's talk about the first harvest experience. What did you, what did you know about what you were getting into before you got into it? So I signed on sort of as their lab person. Um, that wasn't particularly di difficult for me. There's actually a lot more intricate uh, tests and things that you have to do in beer mm -hmm. because the pH is a lot higher, so they're a lot more susceptible to bugs and things like that. But um, a lot of cleaning. I remember I had to use a wrench for like the first time in my life, <laughs> and I was so awkward. Um, so I guess that was sort of a shock to me. I was, you know, nervous. Was I ever going to figure out how to use tools or be handy? That is not, not, not a problem anymore. But <laughs> I remember specifically using a wrench for the first time. What else about the first experience for you? Uh, what, what, did you what did you think of the actual work being done during harvest? Um, I, I mean, I thought it was pretty awesome. It was very different from beer. You know, you're not worried about contamination as much or oxygen pickup during harvest specifically. Um, so I asked a lot of questions and I was pretty much down for anything. They took a picture of me with a squeegee in my hand, I think was like the intern picture of me and that was pretty accurate. I just was always squeegeeing and trying to clean and everything like that. So I mean, it was really, it was my first harvest. I did not know what was going on. <laughs> so what about it made you want to keep doing it? Um, there's like some travel aspects that I really wanted to experience. The opportunity to go live in Australia or New Zealand for a few months was really appealing. Um, I really, while I was working at Boulder Beer, I was also working still at the restaurant and I really wanted to stop. Mm -hmm. um, so it, I think I was 30 when I went to New Zealand. So I was 29 when I went to Australia. It was, it was about time. I had been doing that for a long time and I was, you know, kind of over it. Mm -hmm. so. so let's talk about those travels then. Which, yeah. where, where was the first place you went? Um, I went to Australia in 2015. 2015. And I also signed on as um, their lab person there, but it was... I was starting to get more cellar experience, more comfortable with pumps and the whole process in general. Um, I was in the Mornington Peninsula, which is a really small wine region, right outside of Melbourne. Um, I was the only intern, and I think we did like 500 tons, so it was busy. <laughs> but it was great, great. Like, I got thrown into it. How did it compare to what you'd already done? So yeah, the other winery, I think we did 70 tons, so it was, you know, busier. Um, More industrial, but like still premium. Mm -hmm. 
they kind of had to be because they they had the team about the size of we do at Shehalem, and they were doing about 500 tons. So it was, yeah, busy. You know, we talked more about, you know, you just kind of dig in more your second harvest. Do you talk more about clones or, you know, you start recognizing numbers in the lab and correlating with, you know, quality and things like that. So started to do that. Yeah. Then what came next? Um, then I went to New Zealand at Craggy Range. And that was a really different experience for me. So also premium, they did 2,500 tons. Um, but they also hired, I think there was 10 interns. So it was the first experience I had with other interns. And sort of um, my first introduction to other people that like really cared about wine and were learning as well. So you know, we did day trips and um, tasted at other wineries, like really interested in uh, education and learning about the region, whereas I didn't really get that experience in the other two harvests I had because I was the only intern at both wineries. Um, they, at Craggy Range, they really take pride in their intern program and they do a lot of games and learning activities before harvest starts. They have this mentality, they kind of just set you loose so there's a lot of opportunities to learn and just kind of figure it out yourself. And so I learned a lot there in terms of like logistics and how things need to go. And I was on nighttime press crew. So there was no manager there. It was just us like truck, truck and trailers like backed up down the road and we're just constantly processing Savignon Blanc two presses at a time, like two 40 ton presses at a time. So it was fine. <laughs> I was sleepy. <laughs> you talk about being kind of thrown in. I'm curious, were there any interesting kind of lessons learned or, or, or moments there when you felt like you were kind of on your own to make a, a hard decision? So, I mean, I feel like I kind of thrive in those really, really busy times. So I would say that if anything, those instances where you have to make game time decisions or you're really busy and you really need to like think about five steps ahead. Those are extremely gratifying to me and propel me forward. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I could go all day making the, you know, as long as we're not slow can really propel me forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So after those experiences, what were you sort of thinking about as sort of goals or what, what you wanted yeah. to do next? So, that winemaker in California, who was a really great mentor, um, I remember talking to him and we kind of made a five-year plan. And I said, okay, I'm gonna do a few harvests abroad, try to get a full-time job in Oregon, and then five years become an assistant winemaker. And that I think I beat it by a, a year. So I did it in four years. So I think it's really important to have those kinds of goals for yourself. So why Oregon? It's a similar vibe as Colorado. There's great outdoor spaces here and um, I love hiking and the ocean and skiing and stuff like that. So uh, also the, the price of living here is a little bit more reasonable and the Fire dangerous, maybe less, but up to, to be determined. <laughs> yeah. 
So with that kind of goal in mind after New Zealand, what was your next step towards getting to Oregon? When did a harvest at Craggy Range. So Matt Stafford, who's the winemaker there, knew her. He, I asked him, I always ask, you know, what, what do you think I should do next? Just trying to get um, any recommendation. I feel like it's better to get a job on a recommendation than just blindly apply. Um, so he set me up with Wynn, and then we had a short interview when I was hired here for 16. Yeah. How about your first impressions of Oregon and of, of the of the industry here? Um, I really liked it. The it was this was a cush. Sixteen was a cush harvest here. I think they were maybe a little low on fruit. There was five interns here for two hundred tons, so a little bit different than Craggy Range. Um, we lived in this house, that hundred year house up there, and um, we partied a lot. <laughs> we can take that out. <laughs> um, but yeah, we yeah we really socialized with other interns in Oregon, and so I got to know a lot of people really quickly here, which was beneficial, I think, in the end. You know, it was easy to move here because uh, within a couple months, I had a good group of friends. Mm -hmm. that... What did you think of the wines here? Um, I really liked them. I was really at the time when I was kind of doing harvest and things like that. I really loved un-oak Chardonnay, like loved it. So um, we made Enox here, so I was interested in that. And it was kind of my first introduction to Riesling. Yeah, and then we had, I had never done native at the time. They were doing native ferments here, so that was interesting to see. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, good, <laughs> yeah. So then after the 2016 harvest, uh, how did you end up finding that full-time job you yeah, were looking for. Yeah, so I was frantically looking because I, I think I was a little naive. At the time, it maybe is, was harder to find a full-time job here than it is now. There's a little bit more of a worker shortage, but um, so they, Domain Serene had posted a job f for a seller hand and um, Katie knew Vince Vidrine, who was the associate winemaker that, there at the time. And um, so I got in a couple interviews there, and they hired me there. Uh, they took a very long time to get back to me, and I was, I had a job set up at the Allison waiting tables, and they were going to have me be a server assistant, which I was not thrilled about because of my years of experience, but I was going to do it. And then the the day I was supposed to start, I called uh, Vince and I said, do I have the job or not? I really don't want to go to this <laughs> first um, shift. And he said, yes, but we're just working on the final pa paperwork. So I called up at the Allison and told them that I wasn't going to come to the, I was really happy about that. I didn't want to go. <laughs> yeah. so, so tell us about Domain Serene. Yeah, it, that was great. Um, so quickly, after I started, um, I was the only seller hand, 40,000, 40 or 45,000 cases at the time. Um, so I was running around crazy all the time, every single day. Um, really taught me a lot, it really threw me in because I had never worked a full year in a winery. I really didn't know what I was doing. I had to learn how to filter really quickly. 
Um, I did all the rack, every single barrel that was racked in that place for front 16, 17, 18 I did. Um, so yeah, it was that I was really thrown into it there. What did you think of wine work in the non-harvest season? What did you think about the rest of the year? I like it because, like I said, I get that sort of thrill from everything working out and the logistics. And it was a little bit of a fight, I think, but I really wanted them to let me kind of schedule my own week and say, okay, these are the goals. This is how I'm going to do it. Um, because I was good at thinking five, ten steps ahead. So in terms of cellar work. So that was my forte. We tried to sort of um, get me to learn other aspects like lab. But there was like really never any time. So I was very cellar focused. Um, but that was OK. I, I had a lot of lab experience before. But How long did it take you to feel sort of comfortable in that role? Like not that long, because I mean I was again really thrown into it, but maybe like four months. So what came next after Domain Serene? Yeah, eighteen. I had a great harvest there. Um, I met my well, my husband came. He was not my husband at that time, but we fell in love with that harvest. And so Katie offered me the job um, during harvest of eighteen, and I. Didn't even really have to think about it. I said, OK, because I, I just didn't really see any upward mo movement at Serene for me. And um, Shahilam, because of the history that I had with him and the harvest I did, and I remember working here in 2016, and there was a sort of family party. It was a barbecue. The Stoller family was there. And I was like, this is just such a nice place to work. Like, I really liked the culture. Um, so it was an easy yes mm -hmm. for me. Um, and then, yeah, married my husband. I left my husband there. He worked there for a couple of years. And uh, we got married shortly after the harvest of 2018. So when you came back to Shalem, what was the role you were stepping into? Um, I got hired as assistant winemaker. So I mean, yeah. So for you, did you feel like you were ready for that role? Um, I know there was some growing to do, uh, and Katie really allowed me time to do that. And I do feel that my role has ever evolved since I started working here four years ago. Yeah. What were the biggest like learning curves? I guess like looking at ad, looking at ads. I, it's like so hard to explain because really my role has evolved. Mm -hmm. I think, but. Um, I think in the beginning, just learning numbers and additions and working on the database. And once I got that down, um, I think Katie and I started to look at some of the practices that were instituted here and started talking and doing a lot of research. And so I started working on that. Um, and then we started implementing some changes in the winemaking process. You mentioned your role evolving, so tell us yeah. how, how it has evolved. Um, so I would say when I first started here, I probably was just like kind of a glorified seller hand until I was able to master some of the um, numbers and things like that. At the time, I had been going to school. I did the UC Davis 
extension program. So I was finishing that up, um, which was helpful when you're doing school and also getting real world experience at the same time. It's really like the best way to do it, I think, because everything you can see in real time. Mm -hmm. Now I'm more part of the planning and um, minute details of winemaking and more part of decisions, tastings and things like that. Katie and I trust each other to bounce ideas off of, whereas before it was, you know, like mm -hmm. more of a one-sided. But I mean, I think we're just working together. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious about that. You mentioned kind of thriving in the situations where you're where you're kind of thrown into things. So tell me about the the sort of confidence to make those decisions or to offer that kind of input for for those decisions. How long did it take you to feel A like long you could time. do that? Yeah, I think in the last maybe year and a half, it uh, I felt more comfortable in my skin and um, more comfortable to do make decisions and things like that. Just because I do have now almost 10 years of experience in the wine industry. And um, just always working on continual education about, you know, why are we doing this thing that we're doing? So we just always want to think about that. It's not, oh, well, it's because we've always done it, or that's how winemakers do it in, the, in Oregon. It's like, why are we doing this? Is it worth it? Is it really benefiting our wine? Um, and because we've delved into so many aspects of the winemaking and done a lot of trials here, I feel like I can back up a lot of the things that I say. So tell me about how you would describe then the, the Shehalem sort of winemaking or wine style and sort of what your influence is on that. Yeah, so the, I think we are just very, very intentional with everything that we do. Um, with every procedure that we do or with every you know, thing we do to the wine or action we do to the wine, we can back it up with a reason why. You know, for the most part, I think we want to let the vineyard speak because we have these four great vineyards that are all very different from each other, so we want to make sure that they um, shine well in the single vineyards. So not too much manipulation, but we are focused on quality and making sure that the wine is clean. So obviously, in, in in 2018, as you were being on here, sort of coming under the store umbrella of, of the, the the larger wine group. So tell me about how that kind of relationship works with you making wine on yeah. site, but also have a director of winemaking who's off site. I think it's great. You know, we have so many great production people that work between the three wineries that there's always somebody to bounce ideas off of. So the production winery, the reserve winery, and Shehalem. Yeah. Um, and when we get together, it's very unassuming. And if we do like big group tastings, it's really easy to talk to everyone about, you know, different, um, different wines. And we all seem to be kind of aligned in ethos as well, even though our wineries are really different. Um, and there's always something to be learned from someone else. So I think it's nothing but positive, really. Talk about your sort of experiences in 2020. We've, we've been looking back at, at 2020 and all the yeah. challenges of that year, both from a pandemic perspective and a, obviously a harvest perspective. So tell me about your memories of that year and, and sort of the, the biggest challenges and, and you had to face. Yeah. The, 
I think the one of the biggest challenges for me, yes, the smoke, but the um, from a hiring standpoint, there was not a lot of. That's when you know it's harder to get interns now. That year was especially hard to get quality interns. And you know you feel sort of bad because these interns are coming for an experience, and then this great catastrophe hits, and no one is in a great mood about it. And um, and I think their experience for sure suffered because of that. I think you know there are ways we can combat smoke, and if we're realistic about things, then you just have to, you know, you just need to put your head down and deal with it. Is there anything you took away from that year that you're sort of carrying with you as you're either either looking for hiring or look or, or sort of looking at the climate? I don't know what I can do about the climate. <laughs> uh, I think there were tactics. We learned, you know, what are the best tactics for treating smoke taint, and hopefully we can just go straight to that instead of. We did a lot, a lot of trials that year, and um, we found out a lot of things do not work. So, hopefully, we can just skip that part and go straight to what we know, you know, know for sure it is the right answer. Mm -hmm. um, for hiring. Um, you know, now I start early. I start in December looking for people for fall, and that has worked out really well. You can get really quality applicants for, with people who are planning ahead. Mm -hmm. um, so might as well just start as early as possible. And also, uh, that year we started taking on interns a second harvest, so I usually will start planting seeds in their brain you know, you can always come back again. And that, so this year we have uh, one intern that's coming back for her third harvest. So I think it'll probably be her last harvest. <laughs> and I think there's always something to learn at the same place again. You can, like I said, like kind of dig in, um, get more details than just surface mm -hmm. details about the winery. And uh, she is actually going to be part of our blending groups this year. And I think that is, something that no other intern is probably um, has, has access to. So. so as you've grown into the role of assistant winemaker, tell me now kind of as you're, as you're sort of feeling like you're comfortable in it, what do you feel the, the biggest sort of the main role of an assistant winemaker is? Just sort of a jack of all trades. I think you can jump in wherever. Um, one of the big ones is to try to facilitate trials and make sure that we are sticking to um, you know, the higher plan that Katie has ma made. So um, making sure that everything is getting done in the cellar, our equipment is all up to spec, and PMs are done, um, you know, hiring out interns for the next year, and yeah, just assisting Katie, like literally assisting winemaker, in whatever. <laughs> Uh, whatever she needs to get done. Mm -hmm. And a lot of planning, and we plan and schedule everything, every meeting. So when a decision needs to be made, we make the decision, and then we can move on to the next steps. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important in the overall um, workings of the winery mm -hmm. to make things go smoothly. So you mentioned that Oregon was a draw for you, not just for the wine, but for sort of the, the environment and, and, and the place. So tell me about um, 
as you've been in Oregon, how have you sort of seen the wine industry change and grow up? And what are sort of maybe some of the differences in the industry now versus when you came in? I mean, it wasn't that long ago that I got, you know, I got here in 2016. But maybe more, it was more grassroots back then. I don't know. Um, you know, obviously there were more family-run wineries and now things are starting to be bought by bigger companies. Um, pay scale has changed a lot, which for the better um, because of that, I think. They can afford to pay their employees more. I mean, it had to happen because you couldn't afford to live here otherwise. But. And what about what comes next for the Oregon wine industry? Um, such a hard question. <laughs> yeah, I think I like the idea of us getting more recognition. You know, New York Times said that Willamette Valley was like the next Napa Valley. I like that direction. Um, for us, I think that's only going to bring um, more money, better infrastructure to the area, better pay. So. I am hoping that it goes in that direction. Maybe we scale it up a little bit. So we saw something about your interest in getting younger generations interested in wine and the environment. So, yeah. so tell, tell us about that. I think a lot of that is education. We have to have younger people and more diverse people drinking wine in order for us to hire more of them. So, um, you know, focusing on marketing towards younger people is probably the first step, trying to get them to drink wine, which is, you know, it's kind of typically an old person's drink at this point, so I don't know. I'm not in marketing, so I don't know. <laughs> um, what are you sort of, of your kind of accomplishments so far, what are you proudest of or what do you look back on sort of most fondly? I think working here at Chehalem and the relationship that I have with Katie and what we've done here is really the best accomplishment. And, you know, sometimes we talk about, like, I don't, we don't think this would ever happen again. You know, we um, are part of this great company, but we're also separate here um, in Newburgh, not in Dayton. Um, and we really have sort of free reign to try things and do what we want with very little input um, as long as we're doing a good job. So I think I, this is a very unique situation that we have here and we don't take that for granted. Mm -hmm. And what are you looking ahead to in the future for yourself, either uh, personal basis or professionally? For a little bit, done with upward movement for now. <laughs> um, we're gonna start a family, so we're excited about that. And we're, we're fo Jay and I are focusing on that right now. Um, you know, professionally, you know, I could see myself in a couple years growing my role a little bit more. I don't know what that would entail, really, but we'll see. Open to anything. Just be open. Any plans on making your own wine at some point? No. <laughs> I don't want to sell it. All right. That's all the questions that I okay. have for you. Is there anything I didn't ask that I should have? Anything we didn't cover that you'd like to cover today? 
I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> well, excellent. Well, thank you so much okay. for your time, sharing the space with us today, sharing your story with us. And we'll go ahead and let you off the hook. Okay. Thank awesome. you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all our supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have helped make our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you from the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield University with a very special thank you to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.